You've eaten Gotham's wealth, its spirit, but your feast is nearly over. This is not my hole. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. Why aren't you laughing? From this moment on, none of you are safe. Welcome to the Batman Book Club, a podcast exploring the Dark Knight Library. I'm your host, Ryan Lauer. The Batman Book Club is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by Batman on Film. Just go to batmanonfilm.com, click on podcasts, and you'll find the Batman Podcast Network full of other Bat-related shows that also like to dive into other nerdy subjects we all love to frolic about in our free time. Now, thank you for listening to episode 90. Joining me is a very special guest. Uh, he's the current writer of Teen Titans Academy. He's written for Masters of the Universe and Transformers on Netflix, but and I don't want to speak for him, but I'm sure he'd agree. Perhaps the most important thing he has ever done in his entire life is adapt the long Halloween in animated form. It's Mr. Tim Sheridan. Tim, thank you for coming to the show. Ryan, um, <laughs> I have to say uh, my uh, husband would be very upset for me to say that the most important thing I ever did in my life was adapt the long Halloween. <laughs> He's not listening, is he? He won't listen. <laughs> He's at the office. I don't know. Um, okay. No, uh, yeah. I, thank you for that introduction. Um, yes. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say that it's, you know, adapting the long Halloween isn't one of the most fun things I've ever, uh, and, and terrifying things I've ever okay. done. <laughs> Perhaps the most terrifying thing. There you go. Okay. There you go. It's <laughs> the most terrifying. I'll rework that introduction. I'll, I'll fit that in. There. Yeah. Um, I would like to, of course, we have a fun, uh, a lot of fun stuff to talk about. But yeah, I have to ask, so since this is your first time. Thank you asking me to, to come on and talk about comics, because normally I'm out there, I just have, you know, typically, especially this past summer, I've been out there hawking my wares, I feel like. I'm just constantly <laughs> having to go out and promote something that's, everything I ever did got released this past summer. So it's rare that I get to just talk about stuff that I enjoy, and that's kind yeah. of like, to me and so i really appreciate it thank you yes uh you accept the invite uh, graciously and um i mean we've talked we we talked uh and met through batman on film and getting to interview and talk about the long halloween there uh and you we termed you as writer extraordinaire and <laughs> i asked if maybe today you could put on your fan cap and just be fan extraordinaire and talk some batman comics and i think that would be a fun a fun discussion and yeah and you accepted in which since you're uh the guest i have to ask it's your first time on what is your favorite batman story we're gonna talk about it today <sighs> okay well then we're gonna <laughs> skip and we're gonna we're gonna hop to it okay let's just not let's not even tease with an appetizer let's go right to the main course and let's talk some batman comics So when I reached out to you, um, I asked if you'd like to be on. You said yes. And I said, okay, cool. Let's revisit and um, think about what you'd like to talk about. And you came firing back with Batman Year Three and A Lonely Place of Dying. Yeah. And you came firing back with, I just did those. <laughs> I've done those on the show, Tim. But okay, let's do it. Let's do it again. <laughs> well, I am. But I, you know, but I said, you know, you and I had a great little back and forth where I was just like, look, I mean, if you want to talk about 
for me, what my, not only my favorite story is, mm -hmm. and I, 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 you know, like a lot of people consider this Marv Wolfman arc here of year three and the only place of dying is one story. Um, uh, but, but, but that, you know, that period, you know, in time was when I was, I had recently hopped onto Batman and, and, uh, and, and it was, it was just a defining time in the comics, but it was a defining moment for me in my life that led to the life that I live now. And, um, so there's, there's no more important story personally to me than this story and professionally as well. Um, and, uh, and I think that a lot of people feel that way. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, just, I don't, sure. there's, so, there's so many great stories, but guys who are my age, I think point to this time uh, in the history of Batman as being formative. Um, so for me, it was really important. Having, having said that, when you said, oh, I've recently done it <laughs> on the show, I was like, okay, well, uh, you're, I, think, I don't know if you said like, is there, is there something else you would do? And I think I pitched you maybe like stories literally right around that time, like, you know, yeah. Aparo stuff and like things that were like, like uh, the many deaths of the Batman right that led right before. Yeah. Because you, know, um, you could, like, I live in this bubble of 1989, yeah. Batman, you know, I mean, th this story that we're going to talk about came out the summer that that the movie came out yeah so there was just it was it was as we as all the news media at the time said bat mania it was yeah. bat mania right but i felt like i was in on something special mm -hmm. i wasn't just one of the moviegoers because i was reading the comics and getting a different story and one that had a ton of lore and history behind it and all this character stuff and consequences from things that had happened before and um and so so for me that's why these stories are so important and i was very grateful that you said you know what if those stories are important to you then well, let's talk about them and so yeah so uh, well so i think that a word you said even was they left such an impression or you said they were impressionable and i think that brings a lot of value and that right there is a new angle to revisit them here is because what you ended up doing with your with your career of getting into, you know, uh, in screenwriting, basically, and comic book writing, and some of these characters, you know, in, in that world. And so I think it'd be, I was like, that'd be really cool to see what did you read here that you took away from? And you kind of, you know, you're, as you kept going on in years, kept bringing you back to these issues. I think that's a really cool connection. That's it. It's a touchstone for me because, uh, you know, look, I don't know how this stuff works. Like, it's very possible that these weren't the first Batman comics I have read, but it's possible mm -hmm. that because they were of that moment and, and I was in that moment, that that's why they stuck with me. I don't, I don't think that's all. I think that it's because this story just has all the stuff that, um, that I love in storytelling. And I don't think it's, I don't think it, I came to it with a, a refined palette as it, you know, yeah. Uh, you know, 10, 11 year old kid. Um, it, it's just good storytelling is good storytelling. And, sure. um, and Marv is the stuff that Marv did, particularly, you know, in the 80s, mm -hmm. it, you know, is uh, it, it, to me, 
I, I find that I keep, I gravitate toward, you know, I, I, behind me, you know, for those of you watching uh, this, you can see my Transformers, the movie poster, movie poster behind me. That was a formative, important movie for me, taught me a lot of adult lessons as a little kid. Mm -hmm. And then the, the season of, of Transformers on television that followed that movie was all about the consequences of that movie. Just like Batman Year Three and Lonely Place of Dying are all about the consequences of Batman's relationship with the Robins, especially the consequences following Jason Todd's death um, and the consequences of, of Dick Grayson growing up and leaving you know, the cave. Um, consequences and drama yeah. Marv, oh, I should mention, Marv was the head writer on that Transformers. <laughs> it's all connected. That, that, that season, uh, you know, after the movie, all about yeah. consequences. You know, I, I just think that I gravitated to Teen Titans, New Teen Titans had so much of that um, yeah. important character relationship building that is the, sort of always at the, the thing that I'm always chasing professionally is to try to tell stories that, that explore character in the way that Marv explores character. And, um, and so, so this to me, year three and Lonely Place of Dying, in addition to being the debut of Tim Drake, which mm -hmm. is such an important point for me as well. Remember, I'm a little kid, I'm, you know, uh, 11 years old and they introduced this new character named Tim. And come on, <laughs> Tim is a kid who loves Batman and Robin and yeah. it knows everything about them. He's the ultimate fan and he knows who they are when other people don't. And to say that I identify with this character is, is an understatement. It yeah. was like it was written for me. That's how it felt as a kid, you know. And uh, and so that's part of why this story is so important personally to me. Well, usually the top, I mean, the first couple of questions you may have answered uh, all of them that I always <laughs> ask when it comes to. I tend to uh, just drone on. I'm sorry. It's, it's perfectly okay. They're tuning in to hear you more so than me. Um, the quick background of the two stories of year three and a lonely place of dying is that um, year three, Batman issues 436 to 439, written by Marv Wolfman. Illustrated by Pat Broderick, released in 1989, physically, digitally. They're currently on DC Universe Infinite and uh, the Tales of the Batman by Marv Wolfman Collection and Batman Cape Crusader Volume 2. A Lonely Place of Dying continued in that Batman run, issues 440 to 442, as well as The New Titans, 60 and 61, written by Marv Wolfman, co-plotted by George Perez, and then illustrated by Jim Aparo and Tom Grummet. That, too, is released in physical issues digitally, a trade paperback, uh, the Death in the Family Deluxe Edition that came out last year. I think they're also on DC Universe Infinite. Uh, Tim, did you happen to read these before this recording? And if so, what versions? I, I did. Um, I read them before this recording. Of um, uh, for those who are listening, I'm just I'm holding up my uh, copy of 442. Um, but uh, but I actually I didn't I didn't read the, the physicals. I read the uh, digital uh, versions uh, sure. of these. Um, I find because I'm it's just a thing now I'm work I've gotten into reading the digital stuff because I'm working in comics mm -hmm. and it's so easily accessible. And uh, and and I also 
with with books like this, um, you know, I don't want to give them too much wear and tear. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll tend to go to the digital and leave these guys alone. Um, also, by the way, those New Titans issues <clears throat> that tie into Lonely Place of Dying were edited by my friend, Mike Carlin. I just want to say that. All right. Mike, I worked with on the adaptation of Reign of the Supermen. You see the poster there behind me. Yeah. Um, he's Very cool. In, uh, in, in, in the Superman comics. Um, yeah. And uh, by the way, also Denny O'Neill edited the Batman book then, um, which I think is no small reason why uh, I really fell in love with Batman comics at that time. I think, you know, I don't think there has ever been anybody like Denny O'Neill uh, at, at the helm. Um, <clears throat> um, you know, the other thing, by the way, we didn't mention is that they'll call the covers are by George Perez, the great yes. and powerful George Perez. Yeah. Um, and they are some incredibly impactful, beautiful covers. They just leap off the shelf at you. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and while I think that, you know, the, the change up in the artists between year three and Lonely Place of Dying, I mean, I, Lonely Place of Dying is a little bit more my uh style speed that stuff i tend to go for para yeah he's king <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so so i really i really gravitate toward that even more for me it you know year three is so much about the story that's being told and the writing that um that i feel like i could have read a book with stick figures and been satisfied <laughs> yeah yeah to quickly comment what instantly comes to mind for both both of these stories and their covers is that 436 of year three, where there is just, I give so much credit when there's so much included and it yet does not feel overcrowded or overstuffed. Yeah. And that image in the front of Dick at the circus, but then you've got the key players, you know, up above and around. And then also uh, 441 that's got the duel of Batman and Two-Face. And then is it, is it Dick that's holding the Robin suit? Is 441 the one that is the 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 whole like duality between Two-Face and Batman issue? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't remember oh which gosh. number it was, but yeah, okay, yeah. So we're going to definitely make sure I have a I'm going to ask you about the du a duality thing. But let's let's work up to it and first. So that's usually the first question. The next is when did you first read? You kind of just said it as they came out. You bought them and read them. Yeah. Off the okay. spinner rack from Our Douglas spinner Drug. Rack. <laughs> Off the spinner rack at Douglas Drug in East Greenwich, Rhode Island. A <laughs> uh, shout out to Douglas Drug uh, if you're still around. Still <laughs> I don't. Think uh, and then now let's dig into. Let's really dig into why these two books. We can start with Batman Year Three. So, um, I, I'm not going to say like take it from here, but I really want like you to lead the charge on where yeah. Year Three is why at the time as soon as you first read it because the experience where you had the joy of joy or torture I don't know which of waiting a month between each issue whereas now we're so spoiled we can sit down for an hour and read all four you know I don't I, we have to look back at the release schedule for these because I feel like year three came out more um semi-monthly but i i don't i feel oh, okay. like it's not faster than monthly but i don't know I, I maybe i'm maybe i'm just making that up i i don't know but in my memory <laughs> i 
felt like I was surprised that they were, you know, available. They always seemed like they were there for me. <laughs> well, can you explain uh, one thing real quick? Uh, because I confuse myself a lot with this of the like cover. The cover could almost say, you know, like August 1989. Yeah. yeah so nowadays, nowadays, it's pretty much like, like my books, you know, the January issue of Academy came out, it yeah. comes out in January and the, you know, it, that's, but when I was a kid, I remember it not, I don't know if it was that it wasn't as consistent that the, uh-huh. that the, the month on the cover didn't match up to the month you were in, or if it's just that I was getting it late or yeah. something, I feel okay. like I got them early. I feel like I used to get them like two or three months early when I was a kid. Like I would get the February issue in November. Okay. Something. Yeah. Okay. Cause it, then it's not just me when I, especially in trying to look up for each, each uh, episode and specific issues, there is the, well, the cover date was this, but then that's, there are smarter, came out a couple months before that. <laughs> there are smarter people than me who know the history of this and how this worked. But I, in my memory, it, you know, I would get these issues months that would say, you know, July, you know, in, in, in April or May or something. Okay. Um, so, uh, so I don't know, but this was the important thing was, it was 1989, you know, yeah. and yeah, and that is, you know, what a time to be alive. I'm, I'm time. envious. <laughs> I mean, if you just take comics out of it, what an incredible year for movies. It's just an incredible yeah. year. For yeah. Um, and, uh, and what a time to be, you know, uh, 11 years old. Um, uh, 11 or 12 years. Uh, was I 11 or 12? prime age for batman yeah um (laughs) so 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 this story um has for me it it begins right right out the gate it starts with the stuff that i think always works in a in a in a in a uh, you know in a big story with big archetypal characters something like you think about like star wars the original star wars trilogy one of the things that made it so cool was that there was all this backstory that we didn't see. Yeah. And they kept referring to the Clone Wars and all of this stuff that had happened 30 years before. And, um, and so our imagination fills in all that stuff. I had not been reading Batman comics since, you know, uh, they had <laughs> come out. Um, yeah. And, and I, I hadn't been reading them for, I think I'd been reading Batman comics for a year at that point, maybe like 80, I, you know, I guess like 87 or 88 is when I started reading Batman comics, but still, there's so much backstory, so much stuff. I didn't know. When I was a kid, I was piecing together what happened to Robin. Why is, mm-hmm. so wait, Robin is Nightwing and he's with the Titans? Like it was, but there's also this other Robin um, and it didn't help that Jason and Grayson sounded the same uh, for me. Um, and so, but that was the fun of it was sort of piecing it together. Well, this story comes up, along and begins with a real, rooting in the history of or or at least not the history but like it just starts and tells you here's where we are in terms of dick grayson and bruce wayne and jason todd here's where where we you know here's the moment in time when this is taking place and so i got that there's all this backstory i understood this is the book that made me understand okay so he was robin before and now he's grown up and he's gone off to do his own thing there was another robin i read the stuff where he died in fact i tried to call the 900 number and vote to kill him um 
<laughs> you parents, killed Jason Toss. My parents didn't let me. It was a 900 ah, number. We were ah, poor. So they yeah. were <laughs> uh, so, uh, so yeah, so, so this book came along and sort of cemented all that for me. And all of that backstory to me in this book is, is, the, is fuel for the story and the character and the relationships. That's what it's all based around. What you have is a story where the prodigal son returns. Dick Grayson returns and, you know, having left on not great terms, which is how the post-crisis version of, I think that relationship w- works with, with Batman and, 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 or with Bruce and Dick. And, um, and, and he returns because Jason died. Bruce never said anything to Dick about it. Didn't yeah. even tell him that Jason died. He had to find out about it elsewhere. And he knows that, that Bruce is, is kind of losing it. He's, he's, he's losing his grip on Batman. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and he's getting darker. And there's things that he's doing that are, which is such a great sort of meta commentary on Batman in general at that time in, in, in comics. The idea that Batman's gotten dark and what he needs, and ultimately what the point of these two stories is, is that what he needs is Robin. He needs, mm-hmm. to, re- he needs to step, have somebody there to help him step back from the darkness and realize that, you know, what his reason is for doing this. And, why, and, and, and I mean, in, to some extent, the fun of, of, of this. It's a, it's a meta, I think, commentary on, on where Batman was at that time, not only, you know, with, you know, with what was happening with, you know, in, you know, in the, in the, in the comics. I mean, obviously the Jason Todd thing was dark, you know, we had, you know, Dark Knight Returns and I mean, and then, and then Killing Joke and the, all that stuff at that time was really looking at Batman through a very dark lens. I mean, it started in the seventies, I think, um, maybe earlier, I guess he started kind of dark, <laughs> but, um, but to, 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 to use Robin, I hadn't seen that before. I hadn't seen, and I don't know when I look back at it now, if I've seen that earlier than that, the idea of Robin being a tempering force for Batman. Um, that is the core of what this story is and, and why I think it's so important to the canon. Um, you know, it's hard for me to separate why this is important to me personally and why yeah. this is important to the canon, but I think that that's a good example of it. I think we really, and I that's something we take for granted now, right? Yeah. That Robin makes Batman better. And, uh, you know, he was a sidekick before, um, you know, everybody had a sidekick, but this was a, an argument for Bat- Robin as a force in Batman's life and keeping him honest, essentially. Uh, that's, there's no way to over uh estimate the importance of that i think to batman and the canon no i mean i don't know if you'd mention i don't think he did there either of he was i think marv wolfman even said he's always visualized you know bat or robin is you know 13 or 14 and if you are 11 or 12 at that time and this new kid is named tim <laughs> i mean that that's just that's almost like a gateway for yourself in the sense of visualizing hey here's my gosh, what if that was me? And seeing this world through his lens, that's got to be really identifiable for you at that point, doesn't it? Yeah, this is why I feel like, yeah, this is why I, I, you know, I had a chance to, to meet Marv Wolfman and, uh, nice. 
<laughs> name dropping for you. But um, a, a kinder, more talented man I, I have never met. And um, mm-hmm. he, um, I told him, I, I, I think pretty sure, can't be sure, but I'm pretty sure that he wrote this just for me. <laughs> That's how he, it felt. That's how it and felt. And he was me. like, you're just like Tim Drake. What a detective. You yeah, discovered right. it. Yes, exactly. that's what I was doing. You figured it out. You figured it out. Um, you know, he, um, uh, yeah, I, I think that the, you, I look at the panel, I look at the panels where there's that great panel that I can never get out of my head of at Haley's Circus, where Tim and his family are watching the Graysons perform. And and I, I, I remember reading for the first time the balloon of Tim wide-eyed watching Dick Grayson, you know, and he says, he can't say the word. He says, when he says it wrong, he says one, one or wonderful. He's trying to say wonderful and he's just, he's at a loss. And it's, um, and I was, I kept, I just, I reread and reread and reread that panel because I understood exactly what he felt. He's watching this play, I, it was like I was inserted into that scene and was getting yeah. to watch this story. Um, that's the greatness of, you know, Marv's storytelling, I think. Uh, it, and I don't think it was just me. <laughs> I think I think yeah. so many kids were Tim Drake in that moment. I was just lucky that my name happened to be Tim, but, but there were so <laughs> many of us read that and we were, we were Tim Drake. Mm-hmm. Tim Drake, and now I did this in Titans Academy where I created some characters who are fans essentially of Batman who grew up on the streets of Gotham hearing all the urban legends, the street, you know, stories of the Batman and they're obsessed with him and different aspects of him. And they, they sort of see him different ways based on the stories they've heard, but they're, they're diehard fans Mm -hmm. and they want to meet him one day. And that is directly uh, a result of, of the, the Tim Drake story in, in year three and the only place of dying and, and my sort of, you know, revisiting my feelings that I had when I was a kid. Uh, and, and, and it's, I think that's, that's something that everybody, everybody kind of feels, <laughs> you know. Now, now do you, th- <clears throat> excuse me. So for you, this was probably new at your age, but had there really even been prior to this point, such, uh, such room to develop dick's origin story into robin because if you look at his debut issue it was maybe a couple pages and a couple panels and then all of a sudden he was just robin up and running and yet here we're getting wolfman really gives it time to breathe where we see the Haley circus the the accident the uh the like the becoming the ward becoming introduced to the bat cave the training all of that but all and yes, and so so I don't know if there are other if other folks took a crack at it at some point, but I feel like post crisis this is this is probably the first time that we got it. I don't know, um, but um, I, I don't. It wasn't in Bat. I think it was in Batman comics if we because we were focused on Jason and stuff at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but um, uh, but the but here's the genius of it. I think is you're you're getting all that. Dick Grayson, Robin backstory. You're learning the origin. Uh, you're seeing it play out, but it is, and it's essential to the story. You know, mm-hmm. it's essential to the story. Zuko being released from prison, and uh, you know, um, all the weight of that for Batman, for Dick, for Alfred. 
But at the same time, it is serving as the on-ramp and the origin story for Tim Drake, who's going to be the next Robin. And it is the way that he tied Tim Drake and Dick Grayson's origins together is, mm-hmm. you know, from a, from a, from a sort of editorial standpoint, from a professional standpoint, it's great because there were so many, there were so many people that called in to kill Jason Todd. Uh, because There's so many that tried and couldn't. <laughs> that's true. And, and I think that because people felt like he didn't earn it and didn't deserve it and he didn't appreciate it. And so what you had in Tim Drake was somebody who was earning it, who appreciates it, and who seems like a natural successor to Dick Grayson. Just if you look at that photo of Dick holding, you know, little Tim on his on his lap at the circus and saying, say, yeah. to, you know, and uh, it, it's a passing of the torch that's being told from this viewpoint of, of Dick's origin story, but it's playing out Tim's origin story, which is just economy of storytelling at its finest. And, uh, <laughs> and it, it had, I had no choice but to accept Tim Drake uh, because of that, uh, yeah. that was personally. So, I mean, you mentioned the Zuko aspect and I, I like how all of this, oh. so all of that ties back to, I mean, it really does of Bruce and Dick. In the relationship there and I, I i do like alfred's always there on at the the hearings each time yeah, of, the parole hearing yeah that he should not be released because what about it's not the what an alfred story what yeah. an incredible alfred story this whole thing is mm-hmm. you know uh, you know the, the 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 grandfather who is <laughs> the caretaker who is trying to hold these people together uh, you know he's doing what he can to hold everybody together. And it's, you know, this, it's, it's, he doesn't take center stage, but, Mm -hmm. um, but I think I learned so much about Alfred through this story. Yeah. I, I, I really loved his, I mean, and that's what I was saying, even Alfred's inclusion here, it all just ties back to, uh, he's not sure how Dick will be with Zuko being released. He's not sure how Bruce will be with Zuko being released. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, that's just kind of like its core of it all then we also get the origin here i kind of even i don't want to say i forget but it's like the the whole uh other mob gangsters angle is a total like oh yeah that's in here you know sort of deal but i don't mean that in such a negative way it's just it's always about to me dick's origin and then the zuko release and but but keep keep in mind this is why this is such a great batman story bat family story is we're also not talking about I, this is ridiculous. We're not talking about <laughs> Batman. Yeah. Batman yeah. story in this arc, these arcs, is, is so integral and so important to him. He is a broken man who is trying to hold it together, but is not doing a very good job because of what happened to Jason, because of the guilt he feels over that. Um, and, and how that ties into how he feels about how things ended with Dick as well. It, you know, his rejection of Tim Drake when it comes to it, um, it outright, because there, Robin is dead and there's never going to be another Robin. He, to the, to, to the, there, there is, there's a, there are moments when we see Batman go to very, very dark places here. And, uh, and we have to see that because we, we have to, you know, we're setting up the idea that you know, Robin can pull, Robin can pull him back. Mm-hmm. And, and, he, and Robin 
and not not even Dick Grayson. Dick Grayson can't pull him back. It yeah. ends up being Tim Drake can pull him back, and that's that's so important. Um, the mobsters, by the way, all the gangsters in this. Um, you know, it's one of those things that you don't get when you're a kid growing up in Rhode Island. But the hilarity to me now as an adult of of all these gangsters are named after streets in Los Angeles. <laughs> Are they? <laughs> yeah, nice. Van Nuys and Sepulveda and uh, <laughs> you know Topanga and you know they're all all just Los Angeles streets. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's funny. Yeah, that could have been your line, though, Marv Wolfman. So listen about these gangster names. <laughs> <laughs> I want him. I'm going to name a gangster after like the street I live on, and we'll see yeah. what happens. <laughs> Bayview, that would be mine. <laughs> Just doesn't roll off the tongue. No, I, don't <laughs> I, I don't say the name of my street on here. <laughs> no, no, you're. <laughs> um, all right, yeah, I'll cut that out. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> they're coming for you. Yeah, they are right now. Um, okay, well, let's talk a little lonely place of dying then. The yeah. I, I think it's so funny to me and how it's right there all along. Long, a Lonely Place of Dying follows year three. I've always kind of put them as separate stories. And then when you'd said that to you, they just, they do come together as one story. And it, that's such, it was for, I, I don't know why, a aha moment, you know, because it is the introduction of Tim Drake, the pro, like you just said, the prodigal son returns of Dick Grayson, almost like a passing of the torch now in Lonely Place of Dying as we like dealing with both of those characters and fleshing out Tim Drake even more. Uh, without ever losing sight of, yeah, this is a Batman book. Um, and it all just, again, blends together so well. <laughs> I mean, perfectly it's well. Economy of storytelling, richness, so much backstory, so much character development. Um, it, you know, it's jam-packed. Then you've got Two-Face and, uh, and, and ultimately, spoilers, Joker. Um, but... Uh, um, you know, the Two-Face stuff in Lonely Place of Dying, um, as you may know, Ryan, <laughs> I have a certain affinity for the Two-Face Batman relationship. Oh. And uh, the, the way in which Marv explores that dynamic of, 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 of Two-Face and Batman being similar um, you know, in a very comic book way, in a very visual way, where we literally have two sides of the page, and Two Face and Batman are both going through the same same, uh, script, the same ideas. They're thinking about each other. They're obsessed with each other, and they're counterpoints to one another. Um, the duality of that is, uh, you know, is look. I can see how someone might look at that and think, oh, this is. This feels very on the nose. It, it feels very, um, you know, modern storytelling. We might we, we might shy away from something that is kind of in your face. You know, it's it's like it's you know it's a, it's making a very clear point about these mm -hmm. two men or three. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> ah. and um, uh, but but I think at the time, especially, um, I don't know that anyone really thought of Two Face and Batman quite in that way. And so when you think of it in a, in a historical context, um, this to me was before, you know, the, the 1990 annual and mm -hmm. before Long Halloween. And so this was like, 
my this was my on-ramp to Two-Face and thinking, oh, this is a really substantial villain in the Batman canon. And I never thought about how these guys were similar and could be similar, but Marv, you know, gives us that. So speaking of, so this page right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah this is a great, this, this spread. As, great. as yeah. for anybody listening, not watching, it's in issue 441 and it it's is- right at the beginning, from, right? It's like yeah. pages two the and second, three. Yep, ex- exactly. Yeah. Pages two and three and 441. As a screenwriter, how do you script this? Oh, it is complex, but I mean, it's great, but it's also like, it's complex because it does work in a perfect way of you can read all of Two-Face's side and then read all of Batman's side, or it works perfectly as the spread each spot. You can go back and forth, Two-Face, Batman, Two-Face, Batman, and it's all, you see that duality, you see that connection between the two. I don't, and let me tell you something. Okay, I'll, I'll answer that question as a screenwriter and as a comic book writer, and there right. are different answers, right? All right. As a screenwriter, um, I could never adapt that and do it justice because I think it, mm-hmm. is, it is something that is unique to the comic book medium, to a graphic format. I, I think that the, the, the ability to look at that spread as one piece of art mm-hmm. and then put, look at all those different points and draw lines between all that stuff and those thoughts and those ideas um, is something that you can do on those pages and only on those pages. Uh, if you try to adapt, if I tried to adapt it, it would end up being sort of cutaways between the two characters. And it would be what I said earlier about it being on the nose. That's where it would really hit that it's just too on the nose. It's too cute. It would be too cute by half if you did it on screen, I think. If I did it on screen, I'm sure somebody yeah. could do it. Um, <laughs> But uh, so it would end up being not believable, I think. Um, so it would, be, it would be a monumental task to give, do that justice when it is designed for this spread. It's designed to be experienced like the way that you're experiencing it right now. Um, so as a comic book writer, I chase stuff like this constantly. And I, but the way that we, create these stories today in comics, I often feel like I, my back's against the wall and I don't know that I can get it done because unless the artist and I, the penciler and I are in a bullpen together, you know, doing this, talking yeah. about it and, and, and I'm sketching stuff out and showing it to him and he's doing the, you know, keep throwing in his ideas, which we do over email and over, you know, in, in, in lockdown times, you know, over our computers yeah. and over screen. So um, I just, I, I don't think that I could get it done quite as well today. Uh, the, in the way that we do it, just the way it's realized. Um, I also think that there's a, this was a special moment in time in comics yeah. when you had Danny O'Neill and Marv Wolfman and, you know, George doing covers, you know, and Jim Aparo doing pencils. And I mean, this is, these are particular geniuses. So there's no, um, you know, I'm never going to be able to do it. So this is where, for me, this is something that you and I have talked about, which is, this is like the looking at a magic trick. Yeah. I look at that double page spread and I think, how did they do it? How do you do, how do you pull off that? How do you pull that rabbit out of that hat? 
uh, because I want to know. And I can sit here and try to figure it out uh, until I'm blue in the face. But I'll the, the the probably the unfortunate answer for me is, oh, well, those were geniuses. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's, that sums at the it peak up. of their careers. <laughs> you know? Maybe if you run into Marv again and you can just be like, so just by chance, do you have your scripts for Batman 441 that I could take a look at? You know, just wondering. And <laughs> oh, I keep them, I actually yeah. keep them right here in my wallet. Here you go, Tim. <laughs> what I would give to look at those scripts. It's uh, it's so it's so complex, and I don't mean to sound as if like you know like uh so I don't even like such an obnoxious like fan, but it's just something that does fascinate me in the sometimes you like something so much I do want to see how it was made and that it's such a complex spread that works perfectly on different ways that I would just like to see what where's that blueprint let's see how they came up with this so keep in mind too that spread sets up the rest of the course of that that issue it does where where that that that's the way that story is told throughout that issue and um (laughs) And, and so it's telling you here's how we're here's what we're going to do with these characters in this issue, and then it does. Um, so it's it's a it's a perfect sort of representation of what you can do in this medium. I feel like it's also reflective of Wolfman because in in the Death in the Family Deluxe it includes a writing I don't know what he would have written it for uh, in 2011 where Wolfman even said of you know at my time it was. You know, I was spending many hours in a library trying to find, come up with Two-Face 2 somethings. You know, the internet obviously wasn't there then, so it was a lot more difficult. In which, as I'm reading it this time and reading Two-Face and the whole like, well, what about this? No, nah, it doesn't work because of this. I'm kind of like, yeah. you hear Is that Marv Wolfman? Yeah. <laughs> like, you hear Marv, you hear, it's, and it's not only Marv, it's Marv standing in for every one of us. All these writers, the the and it, it's great that he did it with Two Face, but I'll tell you where we hit it. I, I'll let you in on a little industry inside, <gasps> okay. which is where most of us, when we talk about this stuff, where it hits is Riddler for us, <laughs> where Riddler is to to create satisfying riddles that are interesting, fun, also that are smart and would challenge the Batman. Um, is one of the occupational hazards in, in, <laughs> in this job. Ultimately, what Two Face comes up with too, I thought right away of like, man, this could this could have been a Riddler, yeah. a Riddler angle of clues to put together and all of that too. But I mean, it obviously it worked on the twos for uh, Two Face. Yeah, that, it's all, so. well, it's almost like you know how we find out at the end that Joker has been manipulating Two Face. And uh, and he's a voice in Two Face's head. Two Face thinks that uh, that 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 it's his you know his other personality, big bad heart talking to him or whatever. And um, uh, but can you imagine if it was Riddler? <laughs> could have. <laughs> you know? I could have worked. It had to be Joker <laughs> because it was an important bringing him back after death in the family was a thing that yeah. was, you know, this is that was all part of the larger story. But when but your point about the what he ends up concocting. Um, if he had been led there by Riddler, what an interesting pair those two would make. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So in this, this is where we really get, so it's really funny, the timing of our recording this episode, because the last episode, I almost talked about the, the end of, uh, this journey of Tim Drake, uh, becoming Robin. The last episode we talked about 
including uh, Batman 457, which is where he gets his suit, full-on suit. Well, that's where he really becomes Robin. Like, it's sort yes. of like, you know, the end of this is, you know, maybe. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. I mean, we know. We can see it going that way, but it's not like, he doesn't get crowned at the end of Lonely Place of Dying, which is, I think, really great. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's it spreads it out a little bit more, and it, it's a little more realistic. Like, okay, Batman just met him, so let's see if it works out. <laughs> Yeah, and so, so this uh, Lonely Place of Dying gives where we see that Tim really, so let's see, that would be, interdu- we see him in 440, 457, so 17 issues where he is earning. Is that the, right? 17? 442 yeah. is him when he puts on the old costume. And then, so it's, Wow. Yeah, I mean, I guess we don't we don't see his face in 440. So we see his actual face because we only see his camera and you know weird angles that we don't see who he is in 440. And I think 441 is when we actually see a Tim Drake himself. So you could say it's still 16, 17 issues, but I mean at that time actually I feel like we see him first in the Titans issue, one of the the first Titans issue. I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm, I don't know, but I, I feel like I was surprised by that when I reread it. I was like, oh, Tim, actually, we see Tim for the first time. And I think uh, Starfire tells us it's a kid, but we don't know that it's a kid that's on yeah. the trail. He says it to, uh, to Cyborg. So how grueling in your shoes at that time of, and I know I said this last episode with, with Andy about this, of we're spoiled now because we don't have to wait a year and a half for this to finally get us the Tim Drake is finally Robin. And at the time you you even said it could possibly have been bi-monthly at that time, stretching it or, or two, or two issues a month. Is that what you mean by bi-monthly? I don't or know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, wait, is that semi-monthly? No, semi-monthly. Okay. Got it. Bi-monthly I always get that confused. Two months. Um, yeah. Which I would love as a comic book writer. I wish that I could take two months to get another book out. so Um, so yeah so that wraps up to tim a lonely place of dying is really getting us introduced to this character giving us i mean they're they're pushing it hard but i don't think pushing it too hard on this kid and the emphasis is not i want to be robin it's no batman for your sake you need a robin and note deducing that dick grayson is nightwing and used to be robin and how dick you need to go and help him as robin uh all of that now have at it tim how is your mind at that time reading it and the impression that this made on you then and you keep going back to and such well tim tim drake in that story was a stand-in for all of us and i i think that that um the argument that he makes that batman needs a robin that batman needs robin is one that a lot of us, I think, were feeling. And even if we couldn't articulate it, Marv yeah. articulated it for us. And um, and so that, I reread it now and I'm a little more cynical. Like when I look at it now, I'm like, boy, it really looks like this Tim Drake kid is working an angle. Like <laughs> he, it looks like he wants to be Robin. And he's put on a like, performance about how you're not trying to be Robin. Oh, but no, real. no, but I would real. never, I would <laughs> never, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's how it, that's how it reads to me now. Uh, I'd love to see a version of this story where he orchestrated everything. <laughs> the know? true story behind yeah. Tim Drake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Gotcha um, journalism. <laughs> <laughs> because there, there's so much uh, sugar in that cake with mm-hmm. him. He's, you know, but it, but I, there needs to be because he's he is. We're you know if you're going to introduce a new Robin at this point after everybody voted to kill Robin. Um, <laughs> you know you you better make sure that this is somebody yeah. that you can believe in and that stands for you who is a stand-in for you as a reader as a kid reading these books and that's the genius of it i think that that you know that that's what what uh, what what works about it and why tim drake is, is an essential piece of batman canon um you know to this day yeah Okay. I don't know. Was that your what was All your right. question? I don't even know what the question was. I don't know. I was just like Batman, <laughs> and then you were like Tim Drake, and we went with it. So uh, it sounded pretty good. Sure. Um, what did you think? I know I had a question, and I just took I just derailed myself. Oh, this podcast. This is stuff. a I know. good this show. Is, thanks this for is... being on the last the thanks. last episode of the, the, the very Book last Club. episode <laughs> of the Batman Book Club. Yeah, you're supporting it with that lovely T-shirt for nothing. It's short lived. You know, it's dying. I, it's I hope people are buying T-shirts because I don't think this thing's gonna. <laughs> it's tanking. Uh, <laughs> at any moment. So okay, well let's let's go into the, you brought up uh, new the new Titans. So first of all, I think for a crossover story like this, you got Jim Aparo on the the Batman books. I mean, intimidation factor to try and get art that is in the same ballpark, so that it's not detracting from reading. Um, I think Tom Grummet does a really good job on the Titans book. I haven't read that Titans oh, yeah. book. I don't know if he if he was a consistent artist on it or not, but I think it's not. I. I it bugs me and I can only understand as much as I can as far as business wise, if a story dips in and out and has a mix of artists, it just really takes me out. This almost has a nice, consistent, fluid look. I, I am so embarrassed right now, but I thought George did the interiors on those books. Did he not? He did not. Uh, he was a co-plotter. Oh yeah, I uh, layouts, right? I I mean, I mean, learn the, me, learn. Oh, me. I'm sorry. In '61, you're right. In '61, Tom Grummet is pencils, but in um, in '60, which is part two of uh, the first one, part two of Lonely Place uh-huh. to Die is is George on pencils. Okay, got it. Layouts, Tom Grummet, pencils. Basically, when you're Tom Grummet, I think at that point, you're just trying to uh, to keep up with George. Okay. I would think. Got it. All right. Well, then, I mean, that... No offense, we're, Tom. We're, but so that makes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no offense, Tom, but then it does make more sense how that is a little bit more seamless than if you've got mostly George Perez. Yeah, with I mean, yeah, I mean, look at that. I, I don't know. I mean, for me, the big if you're comparing and contrasting styles, to me, the big the big contrast here is between year three and Lonely Place of Dying. I don't yeah. even to me, the story in Lonely Place of Dying, I don't even make a huge distinction in my head of the different styles, the different styles within that story. It's the mm-hmm. contrast to year three that's a big jump. But again, 
because the storytelling is so good and because the writing is so good to me, that's what I'm following. And I, that's just me in general as a comic book reader. I mean, I, I know, I think that you gravitated a lot toward visuals when you were a kid, right? Like that really was something that that's how you found your way into these stories. Later on, I realized there were words that meant something. <laughs> <laughs> I just think we like, add. But that's so common. I mean, that's the point of yeah. comic books. I mean, you have, you you know, that's, you should find your way in through the art. I was a weird kid who read, you know, I read books. So to me, it you know, before I came to comics, comics weren't the first thing I read. So, you know, for me, I was always looking at the words and, um, and, and I think I still, you know, maybe to a fault, still kind of really focus on the words more than the visuals. And um, sorry, artists I work with. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think to me, that's why this is this works is because I, I'm following that. That's what's the, the thread that's keeping this whole thing. Mm-hmm. together. It, it works. It worked out well for me in the sense, because like in a, I forget, is this, this might've been the new Titans 60 of Batman on the like Batman on the gargoyle and yeah. two face flipping his coin is in the very last panel. That image would always just like stay in my mind. It was embedded in my mind on the only place of dying, but I couldn't ever tell you what the text was. Right. I just know the visuals that drew me in. There's not much. It, <laughs> no, there isn't. And it's all definitely interior of, of Batman. But then it's, as I got older, going back and reading it, it was, it was nice. Cause then it was, then the, the words stuck with me more that time. So it's like revisiting really, really helped. I could talk about this stuff for hours because I mean, there's so many things. Like I came to comic books last year, right, as a writer. And there's so many things that I've been learning. And I'm working with a guy right now who's pretty well established, who has been teaching me the lesson of economy in terms of words on the page and yeah. how impactful storytelling in comics can be without dialogue or without any words at all. And how to use that judiciously and be able to you know, still communicate what you're trying to communicate and ultimately in a better way often than if you just jam pack it full of words. Marv's stuff can be very, you know, uh, you know, he's not shy about giving you a lot of balloons and a lot of conversation and, and a lot of, you know, omniscient captions and stuff. And I love that. Um, <laughs> Back to that. A lot of yeah. words, right? <laughs> I mean, but, you know, I mean, people often point to that with Marv, that his stuff is mm-hmm. like that. And I, you know, for me, that's especially because I work in TV, I think in terms of dialogue. So, um, you know, I love reading comics like that. But what I'm learning now is just how powerful, you know, a, 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 a wordless panel can be or in an economical page like the one you were showing with Batman um, earlier. Um, you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that really sticks with you sometimes. So that's why, you know, visuals can be your way into these stories. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you have great, amazing artists like these, for me, also the covers covers, you know, I, I, I get so turned around on covers. Uh, I think oftentimes I'm, when I'm working at DC, I've, I've worked with people, you know, with editorial people who, who just don't, there's some people who just don't care that if the cover has anything to do with the story. Mm-hmm. And there's some people who are the opposite. They, you know, we really try to make sure that the cover, the problem is you do the cover typically much earlier. And sometimes the story develops uh, through the process and it doesn't end up being reflective of what you did for the cover, but it's already out there. Um, so, but when you have the covers like these that are so impactful that the George Perez, and you talked about that there, you know, you could look at this and think, oh, that's a busy cover. There's a lot of things on these year three covers 
and even in the lonely place of dying covers a lot of colors um you know you know but if you can pull that off and put a lot of information there that makes you feel like this is an epic event um and it jumps off the shelf at you you know there's there's alchemy and magic to that that george you know is, is a genius about um so so for all the different aspects of 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 you know between the visuals the arts the, the art the interiors the covers yeah. and the words you know i think for these stories it all comes together there does feel like there's a there feels like there's a slight difference in terms of marv's approach to year three versus lonely place of dying it feels like there's a little bit more economy in lonely place of dying um, but I, I wonder now doing this for a living, I wonder if that's a function of, you know, just year three, it was a lot of information to, to yeah. get in there, a lot of character development to put in there. I struggle with this all the time. I, if I could, it would be all balloons. In my book. <laughs> it would be all balloons all the time because I just, just keep writing and I just, people yeah. keep talking to each other. Um, but you know, there's a, there's an interesting development that happens between year three and, and the only place of dying. I understand that. Um, I side note is I'm glad you do because I have no idea what <laughs> summarize pretty good. Uh, <laughs> side note is I'm very surprised that year three somehow doesn't get the respect that it should in the sense of it doesn't have its own release, <laughs> collected release. Last year in Death in the Family, the deluxe edition, they did Death in the Family and Lonely Place of Dying. And I'm just kind of like, man, year three is that chapter two of that trilogy. I'm just really, I don't know what. It is really the Batman part of it. You yeah. know, it's, it's, if you're going to, it, it is the part that most, I think, gets us into the psychology of Batman and puts us yeah. in his head. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and it's, and it's got huge swings and important moments in the history of the character. So I, it's surprising uh, that that's the case. Um, but, you know, I I think that's why I'm glad we're talking about it. I hope people revisit it. You know, go and read, yeah. read these stories. It's, it's strong. It's it's very strong, and I think that it kind of deserves being included. So I'm glad yeah, that it's at least it, gotten some kind of collected reprints included in long runs. Um, it's better than nothing. And you have to look at it also in in the context of the canon and the history yeah. of the character and where things were in the books at the time and what we have taken from this story that we still accept as common practice and, you know, essential to the characters today. Um, it is definitive in that regard. Mm -hmm. So uh, as we're going to start inching towards wrapping up, because I know we could talk all day. Um, yeah. I, I kind of a sort of question I want to ask you is what, I mean, it could have been from when you first read them or even just revisiting them now, what in this run, uh, combining these two stories in one run have you hit you to where it's carried you in your career now where you're at in your career um i think i talked a little bit about this which is the the thing that i understood as a kid reading this that i've never been able to shake mm -hmm. is the concept of consequences and prodigal sons returning, chickens coming home to roost, all those great things. The idea of, of a whole world of story of, you know, between these characters, we're talking about Batman and Robin, mm -hmm. who, if you, you know, 
if you if you reduce Batman and Robin to just you know Silver Age or Batman sixty six, which we you know which is which you can do as a kid, I think. Like my my, my big exposure to Batman as a kid was Batman sixty six, mm-hmm. and then I pick up Batman Year Three, and it's like oh. Batman and Robin have some issues. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's some stuff we got to figure out here. And mm-hmm. uh, even as a kid, I, I understood the complexity of that and, and was fascinated by it. And that's the kind of thing I haven't been able to shake. My whole career, I think, I have chased that kind of Marv Wolfman thing of, 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 of people doing their best, but not always succeeding at, at relationships and... Yeah at um, you know, trying to be the best versions of themselves they can be. They, the, the only, the way that you tell the story, I think a lot of times storytellers unfortunately get stuck in a position, I think this is an editorial thing, get stuck in a position of, um, of presenting a character. Also, by the way, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to say this, there's a lot of gatekeepers out there who scream no. you know, <laughs> out of character, out of character. And I am here to tell you that storytelling does not happen. That drama does not happen unless you are willing to walk that line and even cross it sometimes. Because the only way we can understand a character and understand who they really are is by seeing who they're not and seeing them go like like we do in real life, behave in ways that are not who we are or who we want to be. And and if we can see that, then in relief, we can see, you know, the good stuff, the other side of it. When we're pulled back, like Robin pulls back Batman from the darkness and reminds us, you know, it's basically Tim Drake is, is the gatekeeper in the story saying, Batman is out of character. We got to do something and, uh, and, and pulls him back into the light a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, that is where good storytelling happens. Batman can't always be perfect, you know. Um, he's got to make mistakes. Nightwing can't always be perfect. You know, these guys have to make mistakes and screw things up so that like with Jason Todd as, as, as Batman feels he did. And, and so that we can then understand, you know, we understand them better. We understand why they do what they do and what, um, you know, they, to me, it, it's there. I had a professor in college who said it's drama it's not about the day nothing happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it can't be. Yeah. And so that's why we have to see Batman go to a, a place that we know he shouldn't go and, and be able to sort of then bring him back. You know, I do, I, I'm working with this stuff all the time in, in my books. And I think that it's where the best storytelling happens. And it's because people like Marv were willing to go out there and show me a Batman that was so different than yeah. Batman 66 for me, but, but that was so real. That was like, oh, this is a person that is a real person who has real feelings and is dealing with them in unhealthy ways, like all of us might do and often do. Um, humanizing Batman and Robin and, uh, and, you know, and Nightwing. Um, that's, uh, that's the legacy of these books for me. I think, People point to things like Dark Knight Returns, which is incredible, <laughs> uh, and talk about the you know the, the the real the reality of it, the feeling of reality and the the character development. And yeah, that's true. But Batman is depicted as this god, 
in in that story in stories mm -hmm. like that he's larger than life and year three and lonely place of dying present batman as a man who's doing the best he can and it's not good enough and um you know that's that's the kind of those are the kind of stories i want to read those are the kind of stories i want to tell family feud good answer good answer good answer <laughs> well let's hop into some favorites real quick and we're gonna i'm not gonna go from each book let's just go the whole the whole run here what is your favorite part of this of this run a whole first of all how dare you because I how can i pick out one favorite part <laughs> But I was very happy that uh, I know your 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 list of questions. Uh, so I thought about this a little bit, and I think it is the moment in Lonely Place of Dying when it's a crucial moment. But it happens just in one panel at the bottom of the page when Batman is rescuing the Wright twins from the plot that Two Face has has concocted. They're tied up. They've got a grenade attached to the rope. <laughs> He's holding the grenade pin down with the batarang and he's cutting the, the rope to free the, uh, the kid. And he's saying, you know, don't be a hero. Don't, don't do anything stupid, Jason. And the kid's name isn't Jason. It's like, whoa. And he's like, he says, oh my God. Yeah. You know, and it's just this world opens up of Batman psychology in this little panel uh you know and wow. he yeah. sees it and we see it and to me that's the whole thing it's it's the moment of him coming to realize what why he's doing what he's doing why things have been bad and uh and 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 attributing it to his guilt and the feelings that he feels about jason and the things he didn't get to say or should have said it's all right there and that's so that's a crucial important moment and it's great storytelling and it's the kind of thing that i I only picked up when I read it again and yeah. now I I'll never shake it. It's been there all along, but that, yeah, that'll stick me every time reading it now of like, yeah, that's, that's a good link back to what the whole thing is about. So uh, what's well done. One of those well kids done. I think is named Richard. I think it's like Alan and Richard, the right, the right to the right brothers. Yeah. And yeah. So if it's if he's calling Richard Jason, then it's even weirder. Yeah. <laughs> Not even close. <laughs> well, I just in terms of the Robins, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, uh, how about a even worse favorite panel? Yeah, you're the worst person ever. <laughs> but uh, for those watching, I screenshotted the panel and I'm going to hold it up and we're going to excellent. It. But this is from, well, this, I'm going to give you two because I'm a horrible person. I've uh, done that too. Is, this is from, uh, there it is from year three, right? And it's yeah. Batman pointing the gun at you, the reader. Sure. And that moment of, you know, where he's really, we wonder if he's really going to do it and he's lost yeah. it. It's a beautiful, perfect panel, great composition, and it's terrifying. And it's pointing at you. And that's that's what's great about it. The only place of dying panel for me is this one, which is shaving. <laughs> which is Batman having been sort of shamed. I think I, as I recall it, he's like shamed into getting back to work. Or I don't know if he's shamed into getting back to work, but Alfred this, says some stuff to him and it gets him yep. out of bed. It's kind of defiant, I guess, but he, he's going back to work. He's putting on his costume and he's shaving. And he looks, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's such a, such a real moment. By the way, no dialogue in either of these panels. 
right? Yeah. Talk about impactful yep. panels and there's no dialogue, <clears throat> you know? But to me, that's Batman. He's so human there. He's putting on his shirt and he's shaving off that stubble and he's getting back to work. And uh, I love panels like that. It reminds that. me of Us Weekly would have that image for Batman and be like, see, just like us. <laughs> <laughs> Batman shaves Super too. We've all They're just as it. ugly as we are. <laughs> Uh, how about would you like to see this adapted in animation? Mr. Animation King right here. King. That's right. I'm <laughs> King. Yeah. Um, I will tell you that I pitched it. Uh, okay. Warner Brothers. Um, and, uh, and for a hot minute, um, we, were, we, were get, we were really moving down that road of, of, uh, of adapting this in animation. And, and that's not <clears> to say it won't ever happen, but, sure. uh, but we ended up uh, going in a different direction with the stuff we were doing. But, um, but I, it, it, when given an opportunity to pitch a story, this was the one I pitched. <laughs> As and, in both of and, them together? I think, yeah, it would have been okay. year three and Lonely Place of Dying as you know, Batman year three. I don't know if that would have been the title, but um, that's what I was pitching. Uh, and ultimately, you know, we, we didn't end up doing it, but I think that it's still, the reason I pitched it is because I think it is, it's, it's perfect for, for a cinematic adaptation. I think that it's, yeah. it is, um, it would be a, a, a huge character piece, uh, which as you, if you've seen the long Halloween parts one and two, uh, you know, is I may have seen it once ask. or twice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's something that really interests me in telling these stories. And I think that, yeah. and the question is, can you bring something new to it in adaptation? And frankly, I'm not sure. I mean, like I talk about that lonely place of dying stuff with Two-Face <laughs> and Batman and the counterpoint between them. And I don't think I could, that, that would, that'd be out the door. I don't think I could really do that in in an adaptation me but um uh so you know it would be a situation where if i could bring some new stuff to it i would hopefully somebody if they ever do this uh, uh story as as a movie <clears throat> you know they'll they'll bring something some kind of new angle on it mm -hmm. but that will maintain the love for the original material and point people back to the books and, and you know read those those comics because that's where it lives as far as yeah. i'm concerned yeah. <clears throat> um, I asked you at the top of the story, what's your favorite Batman? Or at the top of the episode, what's your favorite Batman story? You said we're going to talk about it. So did you mean year three or a lonely place of dying? Well, you know, um, <laughs> you are the worst. How dare you? I refuse to okay. separate these two stories. Okay. Uh, All right. These are one story, regardless of those those. It's almost like you're like each issue has a different title. If you ask me to pick out which one title of the issues Makes is okay. is uh you know that's a that's marketing i'm not gonna separate <laughs> well total disclaimer i knew what i was getting into when i came up with these rules when i started the show because i off the off mic sweat and go through all this just as much I'm like yeah. but wait what is it it's not called that i mean the last episode was about those three issues 455 to 457 it's the first and second chapters of that is called Identity Crisis Part One and Two, and yeah. the third one is Master of Fear. So yeah. I was like, "Wait, is it more of Identity Crisis, or is it Master of Fear? What do you call this? What would I name the episode?" Like, you tell someone who's not connected to it, like my fiance, and she'd be like, "Just call it the issues." <laughs> if, if you held a gun to my head, yeah, oh boy, and I had to choose between these two, yeah, I would choose year three because 
of the richness of that story okay. and um you know that because of all of the because of the the the, the sneaky mm -hmm. rock tim drake origin story that's coming in mm -hmm. during a dick grayson origin story um that there's so much complexity to it that um that I would, if I had to choose, I'd choose year three, but I still can't separate them. They're, they're, it's all the same story to me. Okay. All right. Well, that'll close the chapter on that part. Two last, I'll get through quicks because I want to respect your time, listeners' times and everything. Um, every episode comes a new Batman poll. And both, this is, Bat, this is Robin related. So it's perfect um, to include you here. The last poll I put up was which... Batman villain, do you like seeing Robin take on the most? 45% of the votes. Which one? Death, Deathstroke. It, completely up to you. So the, the choices were Scarecrow, Riddler, Joker, Deathstroke. And majority ruled by a nice margin in saying Deathstroke. You know, that's what I love about that is because we're here talking about our friend Marv. And that is such a love letter to new teen titans yeah um that uh that 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 makes me feel very happy that that's how people see uh you know robin um that's great uh because us us being how we are we'd be like well it was deathstroke and dick grayson and dick grayson was nightwing so he wasn't robin so is that even you know we get so into the trenches on specifics with that but a lot of people kind of just didn't care they're like no deathstroke i think and which hey i respect Respect their answer. I mean, you know, Jason Todd would be Joker. Tim Drake would be Two-Face. <laughs> Dick Grayson, I guess maybe Deathstroke, yeah. Maybe Deathstroke. So now the new, uh, or what would you think? I mean, then uh, and there's so many more Robins too. I mean, then it's, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just thinking about the, the, the first three, but you know, I don't know. What would I think? Yeah. Um, for me, uh, well, I mean, I, I would probably go to Tim Drake and, and Two-Face. And Two-Face. Uh, yeah, I think that, that to me that that uh, five that, options, Two Face would have been the fifth. But damn you, Twitter! <laughs> They're oh, limiting. Wait, Two Face wasn't an option. He wasn't. No, you don't know what you're doing, Ryan. I you don't, don't know I, what you're well, doing. We are. We already knew this is the last episode of the Batman book. Yeah, Club. so long. Um, <laughs> going out with a bang. Uh, so the new Batman poem, which by the time you hear this, if it's not up, uh, hang in there. It's going to be up as soon as it can. Which story is more crucial? to Robin's history year three or a lonely place of dying. So you keep saying Robin, like he's one thing. So it, there's too many, like, it, how do you interpret that? Like, am I supposed, like, what, what am I supposed, like, what about Damien? <laughs> like, but, which, how are these, how would these be crucial to Damien? I don't know. I think, um, can I thank um, you for not putting Damien in the long Halloween? Just think. <laughs> I mean, he's not in I, it. Exactly. He's not in it, but you could have said, let's try something new and all that. Thank you for not doing that. I don't like that. He's not, he's not. Carry on. I'm not going <laughs> to try to reinvent the wheel. I just tried to make it work as a movie. Um, uh, no, uh, crucial. Um, for me, it's always, uh, uh, always going to be um, year three because it is, it's two Robin origin stories happening at the same time, you know, be, because we're getting Dick Grayson and Tim Drake, even though the Tim Drake of it is subtle and we're not really getting the payoff till Lonely mm -hmm. Place of Dying, the foundation is all built in year three. And uh, so therefore it's, it's so important. It's, you know, it would have to be year three. Mm -hmm. 
All right. I see. I don't, I came up with the question. I'm not sure. Cause I, before you said that I almost would have leaned lonely place of dying because of the introduction. And for Tim Drake, what then well, sits on his adventure with that and, Robin, and because then, it, it cements the argument that Batman yeah. needs Robin too, which is hugely important to the canon. You know, so. Exactly. But then you're, what well, you just said for year three, I think is fully valid to where now I don't know what I'm going to answer. Well, you better pick something. <laughs> I'll pick something. I pick something. I promise. You hold up the Batman holding the bat gun to your head. Yeah, the bat gun. You wake up and you're staring at that. What do you do? Like, well, last prayers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you kiss your sheets goodbye at that point. Exactly. You're, you're going to have to burn them after that. <laughs> All right, Tim. Um, rapid fire. I sent out the bat signal. Asked people if they had any questions for you, and we have hmm. some. Won't this get through terrible. all of them because I need to. I need to wrap up. I think I've said that about five times now. This I is promise terrible. that I will. Okay, let's do it. Go ahead. But it's gonna be. It's gonna be okay. Yes, you've got a question. Uh, first question here comes from uh, Brandon Hannaway, and he asks. He asks you. This is not for me. If you could write a mini slash maxi series on one member of the Bat family, who would it be, and why? Uh, Tim Drake, because he's the character I've always identified with, and I think we talked about this during the show. So I think that. You know, Tim is uh, is is somebody that I would I've I've pitched it already. <laughs> so, okay. but there uh, but there's nothing in the works. But uh, but it's definitely something. Yeah, absolutely, Tim Drake. All right, thank you, Brandon, for the question. Uh, Javi, yeah. he is a he's a big Robin fan here. He says, "Do you think any of the other Batman year stories, so two, three, one hundred, zero, would translate well to animation?" What's your favorite Batman comic era? And thanks for your answers and your wonderful work. That's directed I, at you, Tim. He's not talking to me on that. Well, I mean, I you know, I wonder how <laughs> our, our answers would differ because I, I do want to hear your answers on these because uh, okay. I think we've heard mine already, right? For me, year three is absolutely ready for adaptation. And I think that that's, that's, that's the one that... That would that would do it. I think you know I, I'd love to see all these things adapted in some way, but I think uh, for me, year three, which includes the only place of dying for me, uh, would be it. And um, and uh, I'm sorry, what what was the other part of the question? Uh, favorite com- Batman comic era? Oh, yeah, well, again, we we know for me, it's you know late '80s, you know Batman. I, it's a great, it's a great, great time. And, My and favorite, Nicole, and and, and yeah. even more specific, this Marv Wolfman run, mm-hmm. <laughs> I absolute favorite. I think mine would probably be what kind of follows that that was and I just talked about that too I got a stack of comics from 430 Batman 436 up through 465 at one time that was kind of my introduction to Batman uh the favorite kind of run Alan Grant Norm Brayfogle love love that that run I've been talking about Brayfogle a lot lately on a project I'm working on yeah (sighs) Yeah. very cool all right um all answers will be re- or questions will be answered. i don't know all will be revealed um uh, and i will be revealed when does this drop this this should drop on the 20th january 20th well uh <gasps> pay attention to the news tomorrow then <laughs> on january 21st yeah which is also my okay. birthday which is interesting. Hey! yeah happy yeah, birthday everyone Tim has shut down the Batman book club. That's his birthday present because <laughs> I don't know how to run it. <laughs> I, I, for me, as far as uh, 
year stories in animation, I do think year three would be great. Um, I do like year two. It has a great 80s vibe to it. But I think of the year stories, if it's not year one, year three, I think is the the next strongest. How does it work? Year two wasn't, was it not called year two when it was released? They added that later. Is that right? Or it was the other way around? They took the year two off of it. I think that there's different, I don't think it was called year two, either, either when it first came out hmm. or when they reprinted it i don't remember i've only known it as year two but my introduction to that was when they did the the i think the trade release of it in which it was called year two um surprisingly we're 90 we're 90 episodes into this show and apparently this is the last one and still haven't talked to year two uh nobody's really the last one everybody we're just at the (laughs) joke don't don't email me and say thank god actually no it could be the last one (laughs) Buy T-shirts and and yes, money. yeah, yeah. Please <laughs> give me give me money. No. Um, <laughs> thank you, Javi, for that. Uh, this is Night of Malta. He said number one. Um, loved the long Halloween. Nice work on that one. What was your favorite part of Nightfall, and could that be one in the works in animated form? My favorite part. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a. I I, I don't know. Have you ever talked about Nightfall? I mean. Not publicly. Not publicly. But okay. I will say that there was a point years ago, several years ago now, when uh, I I and a, uh, a very prominent uh, producer in in animation um, were kicking around the idea of doing Nightfall as a series. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, we never we didn't get too far with it. We just started kicking our kicking the idea. Some ideas. Yeah. All right. Yeah, what did you uh, like the so about? this is why it's hard for me to talk about this stuff because sure. it's like you know i don't know maybe i'll get to do it someday i don't know maybe I you throw that out there you know people love to start hashtags and stuff on twitter and they'll be like, <laughs> justice for tim let him launch year three justice. animation and <laughs> yeah I've, I've been so mistreated i need, I need justice <laughs> Do you have a part that you liked that stands out, you know, top of your head like that? I, I, I don't off the top of my head. I haven't read it no. in years, uh, but gotcha. you know, it's, and it's, um, but so it's so nothing off the top of my head, but uh, you know, I love story just in general. I love stories that take our hero and break them <laughs> and, yeah. and, uh, and, and then we get to rebuild them again. And so Nightfall is just a kind of a perfect example of that. So, uh, so just generally that's, that's what I love about it. And so. I think I love that first, the Nightfall part up to Batman getting his back broken. Cause when I first read that, that terrified me as a kid, I was like eight or nine when I first read that and to see that final page of Bane walking away and Batman's broken and laying there. And I'm like, this can't be it. And then I, because I came from small town, which we didn't have a spinner rack that stayed up to date. I didn't know what happened for another three years. What? So, three right? years? That's how I was left was, I don't know how this. That man's dead. <laughs> it was tough. It was oh. tough. So oh. um, all the way up to that part, I'd say it's probably my favorite part of Nightfall. So, so, so that's night what, it's funny. My answer is, is, the, is, is after that, because it's about like, I love the broken hero that we rebuild, you know, which is, which is a lot of that is not nightfall, I guess, right? I think that happened in the, I'm trying to remember. It's been a while, but it was in the nightfall arc where Dick Grayson put on the costume, right? I don't remember Dick putting on the costume, but I'm 
I mean, you're we're talking also pre hundred pages of comic book. I know I'm so bad at this. I have the worst memory. I'm getting old, but it was, it was, but, but didn't Dick do it before Azrael? I don't remember that. All right. Well, I don't remember. You know what? Now I know what I'm doing today. We appreciate (laughs) your, your angry Twitter responses today about this, (laughs) about us not knowing and remembering the panic. I don't know. I don't know. Thank you all in advance for educating us in the kindest way possible. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, this one, uh, JJ asked, what's up with the domino mask under Jason's red hood? <laughs> what? <laughs> it took me a while to remember that and instantly what popped to my head was under the uh, the hood comic when Jason takes off his helmet, he still has the Robin domino mask. And I think it's the same way under the movie. I think JJ is being a little tongue in cheek with that one. Um, I mean, talk about off topic. You know? <laughs> We're, we're talking about books today in which Jason Todd is dead and buried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, so. yeah. What's with the domino mask under it? Look, when you're a superhero or villain, who knows if that yeah. in that, um, uh, you know, you need all the help you can get to maintain that disguise. Somebody's going to rip off that hood. You can't let them know who you are. <laughs> I sign, um, sign Go here sign too. On that one. Thank yep. Matt G1022, he asked, who is your favorite Batman villain and which version does he particularly like? He is in you. So which, who's your favorite Batman villain and which version do you particularly like? The comics version, TV shows, or movie? Look, I'm going to say, I'm going to say an answer and I, I just want to be make sure everybody knows that you can't hold me to it for the rest of okay. my life. And also, <laughs> because I'm just picking one and it's not even probable. Who knows what's true? I love so many yeah. <laughs> characters, yeah. but if if I have to choose one, I'm going to choose Two Face, and and not because of Long Halloween specifically, and and you know, but because of Lonely Place of Dying and the uh, 1990 Annual. Those t- to me, that was all around the same time, and it just made Two Face so interesting and complex. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it's, I've just, you know, it's one of those things I, I've never been able to quite shake and I have a fascination with the character and happily I was able to bring a little bit of that into my adaptation uh, of the Long Halloween story. Um, but I, I could, I could play in that sandbox forever. Yeah, there's, there's too many good ones. Uh, Joker for me. But, but, 80, but 80s, by the way, 80s Two-Face, specifically if you look in like Long Place of Dying, when he's got like the, the turtleneck and he's got like the really tailored, nice looking, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, it's so 80s. Like you expect Classy. like he's going, yeah, like, he, you know, it's my, Miami Vice Two-Face is my favorite Two-Face. <laughs> Miami Vice Two-Face. Bring that back. Come on. <laughs> uh, two more here. Uh, compiling all into one, you have a couple people asking about, will there be a Dark Victory animated movie? <laughs> yeah, listen, I don't, I don't work there so yeah. i don't know i work in it's i feel to understand how it all works. i mean I'm, I'm working at dc Comics. i'm doing stuff for dc comics right now but i'm a freelance writer um and I, i'm not working on anything at warner brothers uh, animation right now which is a kind of a separate thing from dc comics um so i have no idea if they would do it or not um but i will say working in this business that i know that for i because i get asked this all the time and i know because of the way this business works, that if you want it, if you want a Dark Victory movie adaptation, 
there is a surefire way to get it. And that is to oh buy the long Halloween one and two. And if you bought them already, buy them and gift them to other people. The more people that, and I hate it's, I hate to reduce it to that, but it's show business. Yeah. It's not show yeah. friends. Um, <laughs> and so the business people are the ones who make those decisions and they look at it and they're like, wow, people really go for this long Halloween thing. Can you got another one of those in you? You know, and, and everybody kind of goes, oh, well, there's dark. Rest yeah. the knucks and you're like, okay. Give me I, a oh, right. There's no saying that it would be me that would get to do it sure. either. I mean, but but if you if you want to that that to exist, the the only way to do it, it's not petitions, it's not you know tweeting at people all day and all night. It's it's putting your money where your mouth is and yeah. buying the thing. I you know I hate to say it, but because it's just it sounds so cheap when I say it, but that's it's business, you know. Yeah. So the more people who, who, who pick it up, uh, you know, the, the more chance there is. You haven't bought Long Halloween yet. Do your part. Buy four copies. Uh, this <laughs> last one is more so just a statement from this guy, uh, Jim Krieg. And he says, oh, I have questions. <laughs> oh, Take that Jim. however you want, Tim. <laughs> I replied to him. He, he, tweeted, yeah. he tweeted that. And I was like, you know, with Jim, he's like, oh, I have questions. I'm like, no, no, those aren't questions. Those are notes. When they come from Jim Cree. Yeah, no, but but it's just so, I mean, for people who don't know, Jim Krieg, uh, a a sort of legendary uh, producer uh, at Warner, and writer at Warner Brothers Animation, who took over Alan Burnett's role uh, when he retired and is sort of the mastermind producer behind all of the direct-to-video movies that like Long Halloween and Man of Tomorrow and the ones that have come out since then. Um, and uh, and he's a, a mentor and a friend and the guy who gave me my shot with DC stuff nice. on a show called Justice League Action and um, uh, and a, just a great friend and I, I, I'm crazy about him. So, um, you know, the stuff, if you like the stuff that's coming out of Warner Animation and the the, the movies that are happening, um, you know, you, you need look no further than folks like Butch Lukic and Jim Krieg who are, uh, you know, just killing it. I think, I think I forget which premiere it was for, but, uh, Peter Vera Palomine that for Batman on film, I think he got to talk to Jim. Um, yeah. And he really liked him. So I'm sure you're not surprised. He's he's a delightful human being. Was it Gotham by Gaslight the extras where his, you know, the, the talking, in the extras and he was dressed up almost in like Victorian era garb yeah, he, or something. He used to dress up for all of them. Awesome. He, he has, he's <laughs> much like fatal five and uh, uh, Oh God. I mean, it's any of them. He, he, he tried. So we, we co-scripted reign of the Superman, Jim and I, mm-hmm. and um, he tried to get me when we shot the extras to dress as uh, the um, Kryptonian council from the uh, Donner movie. <laughs> Uh, yes, <laughs> and and to, and to do our interview like that, and I was just like, you know, you're an established guy who everybody like just is who's beloved, and I think people will accept that from you. But if I come in dressed like that, they're going to say, "Who is this Yahoo?" Like I was trying to be taken seriously. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I would have gotten to do Long Halloween if if I came in dressed like you know Marlon Brando. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man, that's funny. Uh, I've gone way longer than I expected, so I apologize. No, I thank you. Fault. I just talk and talk and talk. No, no, no. 
it's all it's all good i want to thank you sir kindly for accepting the invite and coming on this is a lot of fun well thank you you are my friend and i appreciate you having me on uh that's done um why don't you go ahead and plug away anything and everything you'd like to in case people don't know where to find your stuff you know, uh, you know, you know where to find uh, the Long Halloween parts one and two. While you're hey. at it, you can pick up Superman: Man of Tomorrow, which came out the year before Long Halloween. Um, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a lot it of fun. Was, I don't think I got to tell you that. I really like. It was that supposed one. to be the third movie. It was supposed to be the movie after Long Halloween Part Two, um, but uh, it got moved up in the production order. Um, Andy wrote Sergeant Rock. I wrote, uh, I, I wrote with the Simonsons, with Walt and Wheezy Simonson, uh, Sergeant Rock, which was a short that Bruce Timm made. And, and I did a, a short that for the awesome. Losers that's included on the, the Batman Long Halloween Part 1 uh, uh, Blu-ray. Um, so I love doing those showcase shorts. Those are a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so there's that stuff. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of fun stuff you can look at on Netflix. Uh, Transformers War for Cybertron and, and uh, Masters of Universe Revelation. Uh, Masters of Universe Revelation trade paperback for the four issue prequel series is coming out next month, February. So um, order that, pre-order that uh, if you can. Um, the trade for Teen Titans Academy, the first year of that book is going to be out, I think in March. So you can pre-order that now at your local comic shop. And the big thing is stay tuned for tomorrow. I believe it's tomorrow, the 21st. There'll be a little announcement about something that some friends and I are doing and uh, that we're really excited about. And we hope you get excited about it too. So, awesome. And it may have Fantastic. some uh, significance uh, to you and, and your, your <gasps> listeners. Can't wait. Can't wait. Fantastic. Uh, like I said on the top, or say the end of every show if you're not already you can follow batman book club on twitter at the batman bc for upcoming episode latest episode drops and sometimes some giveaways if you want to write in for questions or comments uh, you can do that at the batman bc at gmail.com uh, you can find uh, my comic reviews and other articles and interviews like the long halloween parts one and two with tim here that i did with bill over on batman on film if you have any money left over after buying your four copies of the long halloween <laughs> And you want to help support the show, you can do it through patreon.com slash the Batman BC uh, or through TeePublic where you can get some merchandise like the t-shirt Tim's wearing today. Um, T-shirts, hoodies, notebooks, stickers, anything at all. You can do that at the TeePublic store. But if you want to support the show and you don't want to spend any money at all, that's 100% A-OK. The way to help spread the show is through the Apple rate and review. You can do that at Apple Podcasts. Link to that page is in the description of this episode. The more reviews it gets, the more it helps spread the word. And as we all know, the word is panic. So for writer extraordinaire Tim Sheridan, I am Ryan Lauer. And until next time, read more Batman comics.